Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk to you about college football, the NBA, the MLB, and of course, our signature segments, your weekly turtle tab, Mike's Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions here on episode 135. Last week, I talked about some changes to college football rules that don't really mean anything uh last episode it was about penalty enforcement on a try between the second and the third yard line if dpi occurs like i said nobody cares this is a similar occurrence here but it actually did make a difference in a game at one point in time in history uh this is again a change on how a penalty is enforced and it concerns fouls at the end of a period so at the end of any quarter or any overtime periods Um, essentially the offended team now is the option of whether or not they want to extend the period for an untimed down. If the foul carries a loss of down. So the old rule said that the period was extended for untimed down. If the penalty was accepted, uh, for a live ball foul, there's live ball and dead ball fouls, right. And the time expired during the down didn't matter, uh, who actually committed the foul, who was fouled, uh, or what period it was. And, the one exception was if the penalty included a loss of down, then the period was not extended, which doesn't really make any sense to me. Uh, essentially what this would allow is uh, intentional grounding on fourth down to end the game, right? This actually happened during a game, uh, Oklahoma state versus central Michigan, where Okie state was flagged for intentional grounding on fourth down as the time expired so the officials penalized that loss of down, but then gave Central Michigan an untimed, yeah. which shouldn't have happened, right? The rule says you shouldn't do that. And this rule change basically makes that legal again, which in my opinion is the spirit of the game. That's what it should should have happened. So I, I agree that I think that's the correct um that should that's ruled correctly. I remember that play though. We were we were getting ready for a Cyhawk game and we were all keeping track of that game on our phones as we were uh, on our way to Iowa City. That was a fun game. That was 2016. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, they ended up winning that game, like I, if I didn't already. So Central Michigan did, that is. Yep, Central Michigan yeah. on that one untimed down that they received. Right, which technically, which according to the rules shouldn't have happened. Yeah, it, that was illegal to do, um, but the officials did it anyway. So, like I said, this rule just makes that makes that right now. Because that, that's how it should have been. Also, why didn't they do that at the end of the 2016 season? I don't know, but... There you go. There's another rule that nobody really cares about, except this one actually happened at one point. So people do care about it. I'm sure Oklahoma State fans very much care about it. Eh, good for them. Kind of reminds me of the, the Saints always squawking about something at the end of the MFL season and getting a rule change, except this rule change happened four years later, five years That's later. That's true. Eh. And well, on the top of college football, as we are now, like, we're just a month and a half away from Cyclone football, guys. Can you believe that? Like, that's pretty amazing. So let's talk about those Cyclones. Kyle, you've got a couple of updates for us um, on what's been going on in Cyclone football, right? Or do I have those updates? I thought you were going to give them, but I can give them. Okay, so a couple of things. Um, First of all, the Cyclone recruiting class has been phenomenal um, here. They picked up a four-star wide receiver commit out of Florida um, just recently. Um, This recruiting class is now ranked um, number 25 in the nation. This is the uh, 2023 recruiting class, that is. 
2022 recruiting class. 2022, yeah, yeah. it's, it's next year's it's next year's recruiting class. Yes, not the one that's just um, coming up, but yeah, not the one that's just coming in, but the one after that. So if that stays, it would be the first, um, be the best recruiting class in school history. So Matt Campbell is building some momentum. This is how you build a program. You have success, recruiting follows, and then you go from there. This is this is what building a program looks like. This is big. We and, all know we all know from Texas's example that recruiting rankings aren't the end all be all, but it sure does help. Right, having and good players helps. You got to find the the guys who fit your program too. And it, it's not just going out and getting a five star player. <clears throat> Texas can't seem to ever make that work because they get like twelve of them a year. It doesn't matter. Texas can recruit those kids. What matters is not how many stars you have next to your name. It's finding those people who can come out and produce. Uh, like getting a player like Michael Petway, a transfer into the university who was phenomenal for a season, getting a transfer like Xavier Hutchinson, now finding uh, a player like Brock Purdy, not a five-star quarterback coming out of high school. He was only a three-star quarterback. Um, and then it, it leads to more and more uh, success on the recruiting trail, and you end up winning battles uh, with some of your other uh, cohorts that you're usually battling on the field. Like right now, they're get, gaining a lot of momentum and getting some good recruiting steals away from Iowa uh, in winning that in-state battle for some of those big boy linemen, um, which will help all of them corn-fed. Uh, just watching one of them, a, another recent commit, he was squatting 575 today, uh, and he's like a 6'6 offensive lineman coming in for the for the Cyclones. So I, fun fun times ahead for this team and this program. Yeah, Matt Campbell is set up to continue this success going forward. Um, but focusing now on uh, this upcoming season, it's officially watch list season. All of the watch lists are starting to come out. We had two that came out on Monday. Um well, these two that involved Iowa State players that came out on Monday. The Maxwell Award watch list, which is like player of the year, I believe. Yeah, best well, nation's best player is the Maxwell Award. Yeah, which Brock Purdy and Bruce Hall were both on the Maxwell Award watch list. And then also the Chuck Bednark. Um, Benarik. Benarik, that's close enough. But there's a D in there. But no, there's the D silent. Benarik, Bednarik, I don't know. Anyway, that's for the best defensive player in the nation. Um, and Will McDonald and Mike Rowe has um, made that list. We had four Cyclones make um, makes lists there, which is good um, good for Iowa State, getting some national respect. Um, that's good. Um, Mike Rose has the potential, I saw this the other day, to be the first player in Big 12 history to be a four-time all-conference selection. Like, right, because players can leave after three years. So if you're first team all Big 12 for three years, most of the time you just leave. But Mike Rose didn't, right? Mike Rose stuck around. So he's the first time to be a uh, be a four-time first team all Big 12 selection. So he's a heck of a player. Um, we'll keep you up to date on the watch list as they come out and new developments um, with Cyclone football. Um, the other thing to look at, um, just as a note, the first two games kickoff times both shifted back an hour. They were originally 2.30 kickoffs. They're now 3.30 kickoffs. Um, yeah, I guess I was going to say don't be early, but do be early, I guess. There's no problem with showing up to a football game an hour early. 
So now really, really don't be light because then you really screwed up. Well, I would imagine the majority, vast majority of Cyclone fans are going to be getting there super early this year since they weren't afforded that opportunity early on in the season last year. So yeah, I'm sure the early arrival won't be a big issue for them. Yeah. Yep. And as we're getting close to football season, of course, that means we're wrapping up all of our, I guess we're doing a really late wrap up of all our winter sports here with the NBA finals. Kyle, you want to fill us in on how the NBA finals are going? I, I mean, what more can you ask for, honestly, out of an NBA finals than this? You get two two teams that not many people were expecting to be uh, in the finals this year or early projections to be finals contenders. Uh, and both teams are playing phenomenally. The Suns obviously jumped out to the big 2-0 lead in the series, but the Bucks have come storming back by winning three games in a row. Uh, early on, this series was dominated by the, basically Chris Paul and Devin Booker, and those were the two people uh, who had dominance on the court on both ends of the ball, and DeAndre Ayton for the Suns was putting in uh, some work down low as the big man uh, and really just dominating the Bucks in those first two games. The Suns had an atrocious shooting night in game three, which allowed Milwaukee to uh, win the first game of the series. Um, and in that game three game, uh, Giannis had, he, he was good. He had 26 points, Devin Booker. Uh, they spoiled a, a um, performance by, or actually Giannis had 41 points in that game. Sorry. And the Suns were absolutely atrocious, but in game four, the Suns spoiled a 40 point uh, performance by Devin Booker. Giannis was, Pretty good, but he had the game-saving block, uh, which was pretty pretty crazy to see. Uh, Devin Booker lobbed it up to DeAndre Ayton, and they had a chance to win the game uh, near the end of the game, and Giannis stuffed it, and the Bucks ended up winning uh, and tied up the series at four games apiece. And now moving into game five, Devin Booker is – doing everything that he can for this team. Uh, he put in another 40-point performance, uh, and it wasn't enough. As Drew Holiday uh, probably had the, I don't know, it's it's one, at least one of the plays, the biggest highlights of the series thus far. Um, late in the game, everyone knew that Devin Booker was going to take the last shot and shoot the ball, which is why he should have passed it up. But he was the only player on that team who was absolutely doing anything uh, and they, the Bucks were able to smother him in the paint. Drew Holiday stole the ball from him, stripped it, and went down and had the game, basically game ceiling lob and alley oop finish to Giannis, and that sealed it, uh, sealed the Suns' fate in Game Five. Uh, in in Game Five, um, the Suns squandered a 16 point lead once Devin Booker left the court. Uh, early on in the second quarter for his regularly scheduled rest. They don't play him the entire game. Uh, but by the time that he came back, that lead had been gone and the Bucks held their momentum throughout the rest of that game. One thing to uh, keep, keep note of is game six of the series, possibly the final game of the series, is Tuesday night. Uh, that game is being played in Milwaukee. Um, so make sure you are watching that it's really one of the only 
most entertaining things on right now. Uh, so I would encourage you to give that a watch. Um, just for the record, the Milwaukee Bucks big three. Uh, so between uh, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Giannis uh, scored a combined 88 points. Um, and they became the big the the first big three ever in NBA Finals history to each score 25 points on 50% shooting in the game. So the Bucks are on a tear right now. We'll see if they can win in six or if it'll be headed back to the desert uh, for a pivotal game seven. Yeah, that has actually been a fun series. I don't watch much NBA, but I have enjoyed that series. It's been fun. It's been it's been a very entertaining series. One of the most entertaining finals, I think, in recent history, at least in my mind, since 2016. Now, if you go ask uh, Kevin Durant on Twitter, he said that 2017 was uh, the best finals that uh, occurred in the past five or so years. But that's because he was it playing in that one. He was actually healthy for once. So, yeah, it, it would be awesome to see such a great series go to a game seven because there isn't any more excitement than a game seven of any series for a championship. True. Keep an eye on that over the next couple of days. But as you've been able to keep an eye on all the time, baseball is still ongoing. It's the gift that keeps on giving because there's always baseball and that's what's great about it. Except for the saddest four days in sports, which we had um, last week with the All-Star break. Some of that was alleviated by the fact that we did have the NBA Finals still ongoing that we normally wouldn't have. So that was sweet. But we did have the saddest four days in sports um, with the All-Star break that came last week. Um on Monday was the Home Run Derby. Pete Alonso won the Home Run Derby. Second straight year for him. Um, we Pete champion. I believe he's only the second player ever to win the Home Run Derby in two straight years. Or is he the first? I thought it was the second. I think he, I think he, well, let me, let me check. But I thought he might have been the first to do it in consecutive years. But only the fourth player ever to repeat. Yeah. Okay. So, and along with winning the home run derby, right? It comes with a uh, um, it comes with a million dollar prize, um, right? So the winner of the home run derby wins a million dollar prize. And Kyle, you also had a fun fact about Pete Alonso's home run derby earnings, right? Yeah. So uh, if you look at Pete Alonso's career uh, career earnings or estimated career earnings just from baseball not any of his other incentives, his base salary, he's only made roughly $1.5 million. So in two home run derby appearances and winning both of those, he has made more money than his base salary uh, just for showing up and competing in an event for, in an event for two nights, um, which is pretty crazy. But overall, uh, thanks to his original draft signing bonus, um, he has made just a little bit over uh, his career um, home run derby earnings. So basically he's doubled his his earnings total just for showing up to an event for two nights and swinging his bat a lot. Yeah. Um, to clarify, he is the third player to repeat. Um, that is true. Ken yes. Griffey Jr. did it in 1998, 1999, then Yoannis Cespedes in 2013-24. But yeah, good on him. And then on Tuesday um, was the All-Star game itself. Um, the American League ended up winning that All-Star game. The American League has dominated All-Star games recently, um, and that run just continued. Again, remember the All-Star game is now meaningless. Uh, World Series um, 
home field is not determined by the all-star game anymore like it used to be. So in the end, it doesn't mean much, but you do have it. So there you go. AL wins again. Um, and now uh, we are underway with the second half of the season. The playoff races are starting to come into focus more. Um, some teams fall away and the trade deadline is right around the corner in about 10 days, um, a little bit more than 10 days. But so keep an eye on the, uh, the trade deadline. That will be the most exciting thing. We'll have all the coverage for you on these future episodes of the 8311 cast. So stay tuned for that. Um, the other exciting thing to stay tuned for after the trade deadline is because the twins are likely to trade away so many players, we are likely to see Willens Ostadio back in the major leagues after the trade deadline. That's just speculation. I don't have any inside info. But the speculation is that Willens Ostadio will be back um, after the trade deadline. He's holding his own in the uh, in AAA right now. He's hitting uh, 281, uh, slugging 382. So solid but not spectacular numbers um, in AAA. Um, so, yeah, he's still, still doing good. Um, He's still playing all over the field. Um, as I pull up his positions, he's played in AAA. He's played cat, catcher, first base, third base, and DH. So still playing all over the diamond as a uh, as a utility player. So keep an eye. We'll see if we'll see him up after the trade dead. Um, in Mike's Stupid Rules, you sort of get a twofer today. You get a chastisement and then a rule. First of all, we're chastising Mets pitcher Tadon Walker for not listening to Mike's stupid rules three weeks ago. If he would have, he would know that a ball that is over the foul line on a ground ball, even if it's not on it, even if it's over it, it is fair. He would have known that and he would have saved himself quite a bit of embarrassment because then he would have realized that um, in a game against the Pirates, a ball that he that was just barely over the line that he threw with his glove into foul territory um, would have been a fair ball instead of a foul ball. He allowed three runs to score on that because he threw it into foul territory and then just sort of stood there even after the ump very emphatically called it fair. Um, so yeah, listen to Mike's stupid rules and you would know that uh, you should uh, the ball over the foul line is fair. We went over that. Um, the other thing I have is a point of clarification. I had a question come up on a rule we did way back in um, episode 114. Um, if you remember that, this was the one about the punt in the game between the Washington football team and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Right? Remember the one that Washington picked up and carried into the end zone? It was called a touchback, right, as, as we detailed in that rule. Um, I had a question that was asked is, what if a punt was picked up by the kicking team outside of the 20-yard line and then run into the end zone by the kicking team? Is that still a touchback? Because otherwise that would be to the kicking team's advantage, and they should do that whenever possible. So I went and looked this up. I went back to the NFL rulebook for this. Um, based on the original rule we looked at in that uh, episode, you would think so. The way that rule is written, you would definitely say that um, – it would be good. Um, but there is a clarification just a little bit later in the rule book. If you, you turn to rule nine, section four, article one, part D, it says, if there is a spot of first touching, remember, which is when the kicking team first touches the ball, it's a violation. If there is a spot 
of first touching um, by the kickers that is outside the receiver's 20-yard line, the receiving team has the option to take possession of the ball at the spot of first touching. So the basically receiving team can choose, um, and you'd presume they would choose to take it at the spot of first touching because very rarely do you see an NFL team not want more yards. So that's a very good question based on the rule in episode 114. Um, you would think it was a touchback, but there is that one clarification. So there you go. There you have it. Um, do you have any questions about that one? Not a question, but an exception to both of those things that I don't think we ever talked about either on this episode, this episode or 114. But the kicking team can legally advance the ball. It's not a violation if they recover the ball before the ball crosses the line of scrimmage. So if a kick is blocked and it never goes past the line of scrimmage and it's recovered by the kicking team, they can legally advance the ball. I don't think we ever talked about that. Yes, that's. But that is the thing. So if you have a question, oh, what if this happens? Uh, There you go. Yep. And if, yeah, if you have any more questions that you want answered, you don't hear something we address in Mike's Stupid Rules, contact us, Instagram, Twitter, our contact page on the website. Feel free. We're happy. We were more than happy to – we'll even give you a shout-out on the episode if you're the one who uh, does it. This one is shout-out to random YouTube commenter on uh, – uh, so, yeah, random YouTube commenter, um, J- GLQUAM07. Shout out for uh, for uh, this clarification. Shout out to you. Your username just rolls off the tongue. That is it for Mike Stupid Rules this week. And as always, after Mike Stupid Rules, we move into our accountability session for our Write That Down Prediction segment. We had nothing come off the board this last week. Um, so very, very quick accountability session. We're already done. And with that, I will start by putting prediction up on the board. Um, we are moving into the playoffs for my slow pitch softball league. I am predicting that we finish in third place or better in the tournament. Are there three teams in the tournament? There are six teams in the tournament. We are the sixth seed. We had the worst record in the regular season. Um, for the record, the tournament has already started. We won our first game and lost our second game, which basically in a six-team bracket means we're at the same place as if we would have lost our first game because that's the way 16 double elimination brackets work. Um, so basically we'd have to win two games this week and then we'd be in at least third place. If we lose either of those two games, we would not finish third place. So basically we only won three games all regular season and I'm predicting that we'd win both of our next two. Um, I would be down with a triple, I think. Like my gut. My gut read's a triple based on my my gut read was also a triple, but Mike seemed a little surprised when we said that. I'm fine with the triple. No, that's oh, okay. what I expected. Okay. Yeah, that, that is triple. Sounds good to me. Do you have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yep, still alive. He's enjoying his plants and his fishing. Um Josh is doubling down a little bit on his prediction from last week, and now he's predicting bucks and six. So last week he predicted the Bucks would win. Now he's predicting the Bucks will win it um, this next game. Bucks in six. I mean, there's got to be a stat line on that for now, right? By now. Oh yeah, I'm sure I can find it. Just give me a minute. Um, Finds it first. Five thirty-eight. And NBA says they have a seventy-five percent chance to win, and 60, in game sixty percent. Sixty percent chance in that game. Um, ESPN says. 
ESPN gives the box a 58% chance. So this seems like a single to me. Yeah, that's still single. Yeah. All right, Wyatt, what do you got? Uh, I'm just kind of lobbing those big ones out there at the beginning of the season again. I'm going to say Iowa State ends up top 10 in the final college football ranking. This is the college football playoff rankings? Yeah, the CFP rankings. Got it. I put the wrong letter in the outline. Uh, triple? Double? Triple? I don't know. What it's were you so, hoping there's, for this, Wyatt? A, not a single. Not a double? I don't but, think it's a home run because of the expectation. I don't, yeah, so. I don't think it's a home run. I think it's. I think it could be a double, but I think it's triple I'm, just I'm because it's triple. so far out. Yeah, I'm good with triple. Like, yeah. I don't think we're biased enough to make that a double. Like we're pretty biased, but I don't think we're that biased. Yeah, I'm good with the triple. Sounds good to me, Kyle. Yeah. So on the theme of lobbing stuff down the road, uh, I am predicting <laughs> that. Iowa State is going to win the Big 12 championship game in December. So the actual championship game. So A, they have to make it, I guess, technically, and then B, they're going to win it. It's hard to win a game you're not playing in. Right. I mean, so they're they're expected to be in it, right? But there still is that slim chance that they don't make it. Yeah. Um, triple again? This seems like another triple to me. This one, I think you can make an argument for a home run. I mean, there's, there's odds on this. Let me pull it up. I can, I'm sure I can already find odds on this on ESPN. I'm sure those odds are going to say home run. Are they? I'm not so sure about that. It's going to be like less than one time. Less than two no, there's no, no way. I don't think so. You have a lot more confidence than I do. If it is, you're right that um, this will be a home run. All right, less than 1% is obviously a home run. But I have no up. idea what to give it. So, uh, according to ESPN's Football Power Index, which is loading. Oh, oh, crap! That's a triple. Then. I thought we were talking basketball. Oh yeah, I presume we're talking about football, like okay? Right. Oh. Football. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a triple. I was way confused. I was like, "What in the thunder?" On next week's episode, I predict that Iowa State's basketball program wins the Big 12 championship. It's like, wow, that was a big one, but sure, buddy. Yeah, okay. Definitely a triple. We don't even look at the stats. Yeah. Not ESPN's football power index gives Iowa State a 1% chance of winning the national championship. I think they have a higher percentage chance of winning the conference than that. So, yeah, it's triple. 100%. It helps when I know what's going on. Triple it is. With three triples and a single, that concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 135 of the A. We'll see you here again next week on the next episode, episode 136. But in the meantime, definitely check out our Instagram page at 8311cast and drop us a line on our contact page at 8311cast.fireside.fm slash contact. Signing off for the 8311cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Tier. Talk to y'all again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.